evening. So it gives me great pleasure to hand over to Steve. Um, Steve Vaughan is a, a, a bit of a mover and shaker in the Dublin tech scene. He works for HubSpot in the city centre. And he actually wrote the intro course. So he's done a fair few of these over the years. He's a fellow former philosophy student. And I have to say, he's as good a speaker on topics like this as I've, as I've had the pleasure of coming across. So Steve, it gives me great pleasure to hand over to you. And we're in your hands now for the next 30 minutes or, or perhaps a little less. Over to you, Steve. Great. Well, lovely to be with you all. Thank you for coming. And uh, yeah, I'm delighted to be able to share uh, this evening. Um, I want to do two things tonight as we look at the topic of finding peace in a time of suffering and thinking whether Christianity has the answers. I want to look at philosophical questions or answers, I should say, to it. Like, how can a good God allow such suffering as we're experiencing right now? How can a good God allow that? Philosophical questions. And I want to look at personal questions. Andrew was good, but, you know, how can I find peace in my turmoil? Whatever the turmoil is, it's different for each of us. And Andrew and Ola have had their fair share of it, and you've probably got your share of it, and you know people. And so there's philosophical questions, there's personal questions. We want to give answers to both. And with both answers, I want to go, how does Christianity compare to what the secular person would have to say? You know, the, 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 the question tonight is, does Christianity have the answers? Well, compared to what? Compared to, if you don't believe in God, are you in any better position philosophically and personally and in trying to find peace? A few years ago on the uh, Meaning of Life show, brilliant show by you know, the most famous talk show host in the world, Gay Byrne. Uh, and uh, he, he interviews his famous guests about the meaning of life. And he always asks, asks the last question is always, you know, what would you say to the almighty God at the pearly gates of heaven? And he had the very brilliant and famous uh, atheist uh, um, and, and sort of TV star Stephen Fry. And you may remember and remarkable eloquence, a man with the mastery of the English language, Stephen Fry. And he put it like this uh, in answering the question, what would you say to God if it all turns out to be true? And Stephen Fry said, why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? He must be a moral monster. He is evil and capricious. A compelling quote. You may remember it. It went pretty viral on social media. But it rings true for us, doesn't it? Right now? Right now? COVID-19? Why does God, like what, what kind of God would allow such devastation and suffering? And it's actually the age-old question that's always been put to believers in God. It goes something like this. This is what you study when you do philosophy. Since there is so much evil in the world, there cannot be an all-powerful, all-loving God. If he was all-powerful, he'd be able, he'd have the power, to get rid of suffering. And if he was all-loving, he'd want to. He'd have the benevolence to get rid of suffering. Since evil exists, an all-loving and all-powerful God cannot exist. That's the question that's been posed to the theist for generations. There's two problems, or there's two assumptions that the atheist has when posing a great question. The first assumption is they're assuming a moral law. You see, the moment you say, wait a minute, there is such a thing as evil, then you're saying there's such a thing as good, you're differentiating between evil and good and right and wrong. You know, why is God allowing all this evil? Well, where'd you get the definition of evil? To have the good and the bad, the evil and the, and the right, you have to have a moral law. To have to have a moral law that is a, the same across humanity, you have to have a moral law giver. But that's the person you're trying to disprove. 
you get rid of the moral law giver, you get rid of the moral law, you get rid of the moral law, then you get rid of the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. And therefore you don't have a question anymore. Your objection to God has smuggled in God in the question, the objective moral law giver. If you get rid of him, you get rid of the moral law, your question is redundant and you've trivialized the suffering. Now, many people try to get out of that one, and I've had many debates in philosophical tutorials, go, no, no, I don't need a moral lawgiver, Steve, to give me right and wrong and good and evil. We know, utilitarian view, that we're just trying to alleviate human suffering. Like, as long as I can try and live my life to alleviate human suffering, then, you know, that's okay. That's good enough. But that has problems. Now you've smuggled in, you're assuming that human life is valuable. But if there is no God, why is human life valuable? To quote Oxford professor of chemistry, Peter Atkins, I once saw him debate a Christian philosopher. He's, Peter Atkins, no, doesn't believe in God, says humanity is just a, a bit of slime on a planet. From a previous generation, the very famous atheist philosopher who wrote a book called Why I Am Not a Christian, Bertrand Russell, said humanity is just a curious accident in a backwater. You see, you get rid of God, you actually don't have a problem again because why does it matter if humans suffer? Because what, well, who cares about humans? Like, why are they valuable? So when questioned about the topic of uh, suffering, Richard Dawkins put it like this. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And we won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, listen, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. In other words, COVID-19 is just evolution rumbling on. And we are dancing to evolution's music. When a loved one dies, when someone loses their job, when a father is separated from seeing his son in the labor ward, well, it's just blind, pitiless indifference, Dawkins says. I am not saying Dawkins, Russell, or Atkins are wrong. What I'm saying is they are actually having the guts to follow through with their worldview, which says if there is no God, you can't end up with this idea of good and evil, and you can't end up with the idea of human life being valuable. So all this talk of suffering being a problem, actually, you end up without a question. You see, if you follow me so far, there's something interesting that happens in all of us when we suffer. And that is, we cry out, inside or verbally why and often we look as if to the heavens it wasn't supposed to be like this i was supposed to be able to see my baby boy at the birth my my family member wasn't supposed to have this trouble what's wrong why it shouldn't have been like a world shouldn't have had coronavirus why why shouldn't our world have, have had coronavirus where does that desire come from what why do we think our world shouldn't be full of evil and suffering have you ever known such a world where does that idea come from? Why do you think human life is valuable? I mean, if we are just a set of chemical reactions, a collocation of atoms, there's nothing more. 
There's no bigger reason for our existence. It was a freaky big bang against all the odds that kicked it off with no divine influence. It's all random. There's no overarching story. Well, there's no meaning. When you die, you rot. Tell me, why is human life valuable? You have to go, it isn't. You have to have the guts to follow through with your conclusion. Atkins, we're just a bit of slime on a planet. Russell, we're just a curious accident in a backwater. In a sense, we're actually not much different from a tree. We're just a collocation of atoms, just differently arranged. Yes, we've evolved a bit more. But like, we chop trees down, don't we? Well, if a few humans get chopped down, does it, does it really matter? What's, what's the difference? In fact, in fact, let me press you. And by the way, if you're here today as an atheist, we're delighted you're here. We want to hear you and we want your objections and I want your pushback. But if you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God, doesn't COVID-19 fulfill the goal of evolution? The society and our human race gets a bit fitter. A few week of the week are siphoned off. We stop giving our resources to those that are a drain on society. It enables us to progress and get stronger. And, you know, those that can't adapt, well, that's the point. The survival of the fittest. It, in a sense, isn't COVID-19 part of how evolution works? So we should just, again, accept it. It's, there is no problem. Now, of course, we're going to get stronger as a society through this, through this uh this, this trauma that we're going through, this pandemic. But we get stronger, surely, for the good of the weak, not at the expense of the weak. And that's where the evolutionary worldview, I think, crumbles for all of us. We don't want the weak to be siphoned off. We want them to be uplifted. Well, then you need a reason for that. You see, here's my point. The fact that Stephen Fry gets so angry, the fact that we look to the heavens and go, why? And deep down, it's as if someone's listening to us and the world shouldn't have coronavirus in it. Maybe our reaction to evil and suffering, far from being evidence against God, is actually evidence for God. You see, you get rid of God, you get rid of the problem, your question's redundant, you trivialize suffering. But we don't want to do that. C.S. Lewis famously converted to Christianity. Uh, he was an Oxford professor. And uh, he, he, uh, he, he put it like this in his book, Mere Christianity, the, probably the best apologetics book written by a Christian in the last uh, 50 to 100 years. And he puts it like this in the book. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of unjust, just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it? A man feels wet when he falls into water because man is not a water animal. A fish wouldn't feel wet. Now, Lewis then goes on to argue, well, I could have got rid of it, the idea of objective justice and just had a private, you know, well, you know, there might not be right and wrong objectively. I just feel it's right and wrong and listen to what he says. Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing more than a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too, which is my point so far in the talk. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Thus, the very act of trying to prove that God did, did not exist, in other words, that the, whole reality, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely 
my idea of justice, of right and wrong, of good and evil, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. So again, he put it elsewhere just to make the point, if, you, if you're really the product of your materialistic universe, you know, no God, it's just all material, no supernatural, how is it you don't feel at home here? Do the fish complain of, be, of the sea for being wet? Now, let me zoom out of kind of maybe some quite heady stuff and just br bring it down to earth for you. I was uh, driving home. I work in Dublin city centre. I live on the south side. And I was driving home with my colleague, good friend of mine. Uh, he, he calls himself uh, an atheist, but he says he's a Catholic atheist. You may, you may know those. I'm a Catholic atheist. He takes after Darrow Breen. And, uh, and, and we have great fun and, and respect for and, uh, you know, lots of banter. And, and, and we're driving home and he was giving me a tirade of questions. He couldn't believe that I believed the Bible. He couldn't believe that I believed traditional doctrines. And he had all these questions around suffering and why God had allowed and what was going on in the world. And, 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 and you know, normal sort of thing that someone like me a believer gets from a non-believer and i enjoy that and so i said i said hey wait a minute i will answer your question if you just answer me one question one question i will answer you my, your, some of your questions i'll have a go and this is my question i said what's wrong with the world we drove on in silence he denied i seriously said no i said seriously what's what's wrong with the world we we're driving down the n11 i remember it very well just by ucd why is the world such a mess is it a lack of education is it a lack of technology? Is it a lack of communication? Is it a lack of awareness? Like, surely you can't say that. Like, the problem in our world and, like, the Holocaust is just because we, you know, lack of technology. Well, they used, they used high technology, lack of education. Well, they were pretty clever people, you know. He goes, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. And the car journey continued and we carried on. You're on this call tonight because you want to know how to find peace in suffering. A good question to ask yourself is what is actually wrong with our world? There's a conservative political answer and a liberal political answer, but they don't cut it. You know, the liberal political answer is that, you know, you haven't had the right family upbringing and, and the, you know, the right social background and all that stuff to help you. And the conservative answer is, well, they're the bad people over there and the way the good, you know, it doesn't quite work, you know. It's not sufficient enough to account for, say, the Holocaust. You see, if you don't believe in God and you believe you're here, all here by random chance and it is survival of the fittest and that those that are less fit don't survive, I have no idea why you think the world isn't supposed to be cruel, isn't supposed to be harsh. It is random. It is unjust. As Dawkins said, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good. But we all know, we all feel, we all sense, we all think that is not the case. Earthquakes, AIDS, homelessness, miscarriages, famines, babies dying, war, terrorism, paedophilia, murder, rape, coronavirus. This is actually wrong. It's wrong. It's not just a private fancy. We imagine this world shouldn't be with disease and pandemics and suffering and death. None of us have ever known such a world. None of us have ever experienced such a world. But yet in our consciousness, we think we're supposed to live in that world. Why? C.S. Lewis said it's like a fish constantly being surprised by the wetness of the water. Where does this sense that our world is wrong come from? So intellectual, I mean, for me, it's because we were made in a perfect world by a God and then we rebelled against that God and that has caused our world to crumble and, and sin and, 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 and the curse of God came in and, and, and he's going to redeem it. But if you don't believe in a sort of Christian worldview, and we can discuss that more in the Q&A, your worldview doesn't account for this. So I think you have greater problems if you're not a believer in God when it comes to the question of suffering. You don't have a worldview that allows you to ask the question. There is no problem. 
suffering is tri trivialized, your question is redundant, there's no right and wrong, and human life doesn't even matter anyway. The atheist has no explanatory power to the feelings, the emotions, and the thoughts that they have. As C.S. Lewis said, it's too simple. It seems so good, but it's too simple. And by the way, final thing on the philosophy, philosophical answer. If you have a God big and powerful enough to be mad at for not stopping evil and suffering, you have to have a God big and powerful enough to have a reason for not stopping evil and suffering. You see, you cannot say, well, because I, in my view, in my culture, at my moment in history, cannot see why God would be allowing this, so there can be no reason. Well, who are you? Who are you? In the big scheme of eternity, in the big scheme of even human history, you've got the view on the, like, why this might be happening. If there's a... No. If you've got a God who's big and powerful enough to be mad at for allowing evil and suffering, you have to have a God who's big and wise enough to have reasons for it, even if you never understand them in this lifetime. Philosophically, that works. I mean, you know, evil and suffering exist, therefore God cannot not exist. That's the premise, that's the conclusion. No, evil and suffering exist, therefore God might have reasons to exist, therefore you haven't disproved this. You know, that's how the Alvin Plantinger did it years ago in his book on evil and freedom. So that's the philosophical answer. And I hope to have some good questions in the chat pack. What about the personal answer? Okay, Christianity may have a worldview, uh, and that may have provoked some of you to think through what, what the consequences are if you don't believe in God. But I actually think Christianity has, um, gives us a unique hope, a unique comfort, and a unique peace. Amongst all religions, all worldviews, all cultures, certainly against secularism, a unique hope, a unique comfort, and a unique peace. COVID-19 is no respecter of persons or national borders or wealth or status. You can be a doctor in emergency in the, in the matter with Andrew with all his qualifications. It doesn't respect you. We're all equals before it. And this has always been true of suffering. It doesn't matter how you know, wealthy you are or how much, you know, uh, wh 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 what part of the world you live in. You may get different levels of it, but every one of us experiences suffering. No one is immune to suffering. And so the question is, how do we find peace? Christianity may not have all the knockdown answers. Uh, Andrew talked about mystery in his testimony. I thought that was superb. But I want to argue that Christianity is the last one standing because it offers us a resource that no other religion, worldview, or culture offers us and never has done and never could do. There's one thing in Christianity, one thing that sets it apart from everything else, that makes it unique, that means we have a unique hope, a unique comfort, and a unique peace. One thing. The answer God gives when we cry out, why are you allowing this suffering to go on is this it's his son on a bloody cross the christian message is god entered the world of suffering he took on flesh and bones he experienced everything we experienced and worth and it culminated with his death on a cross our god has suffered our god was crucified our god died when stephen fry and he's right to say it if he feels it but if stephen fry says why should i respect a capricious mean-minded stupid god who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain he must be a moral monster he's evil and capricious that terrible caricature of god is smashed to smithereens by the cross of christ He felt the physical pain as the cat of nine tails was impaled on his back. He knew unbearable thirst to such an extent that his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth and he winced as the nails were shoved through his wrists. 
He felt emotional pain of being mocked, laughed at, spat upon, and humiliated by his accusers, as well as being abandoned by his best friends. Physical pain, emotional pain, and he felt relational and spiritual pain when his father in heaven rejects him as he takes on the sin of the world. And Jesus on the cross, you can read it in all the gospels, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, God could have remained distant and far off. He could have been that mean and capricious God that Stephen Fry articulates, but he didn't. He came down and entered our world of suffering and death. He participated in it. Once he was infected by the virus and he died of it in a sense. He experienced what we experienced. So that brings comfort. A crucified God brings comfort because it means we're not alone. When you are going through suffering, as a mother holds her dying baby, as a, a young boy watches his father lose the fight against cancer. Andrew mentioned this in his, in his personal story. All the books written and all the eloquent words on why couldn't matter less. When you are confronted with the raw reality of evil and suffering, what is needed is someone who understands you to come alongside you and hold your hand and give you a hug and tell them and, and tell you they love you. And even better than sympathizing with you, they empathize. They can say, I know what you're going through. I've been there too. Have you lost a child? God lost a child. Have you been isolated and rejected? So is God. Have you suffered loneliness even in this COVID experience? God suffered terrible loneliness. Have you wanted to give up on life? We read Jesus' prayers. He talks about his soul being overwhelmed with sorrow. Have you been treated unfairly? So is God. Whatever we say, the answer is so has God because of that picture. Corrie Ten Boom, a survivor of the Holocaust and a Christian, wrote this. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. He's gassed, gassed in outfits. He's destroyed in the Indian Ocean tsunami. He's infected and isolated during COVID-19. Every tear we shed becomes his tear. He's not disinterested and distant. He draws alongside. He sympathizes. In fact, better, he empathizes because he himself has suffered. It doesn't mean the pain goes away. It doesn't mean there's not suffering and evil. It doesn't mean there's not agony and crying and heartache and loss. But it means God understands. God understands. The God of the universe understands. He knows what you're going through. In other words, I may not have the answers to why God is allowing this suffering, but I know what the answer isn't. It isn't that he doesn't love me. I may not know what the answer is, but I know what the answer isn't. It isn't that he doesn't love me. The cross of Christ shows that he loves me. So firstly, we have comfort. Unique to Christianity, because our crucified God, we're not alone. Secondly, we get hope. The future is always bright. We never have to ultimately despair. You see, not only did God enter the worst suffering imaginable on the cross, three days later, he rose again and beat humanity's great enemy. Why is COVID-19 so bad? Because we die of it. Jesus beat death. He beat our worst enemy. The resurrection assures me, and by the way, the resurrection is unique to Christianity. You won't find another religion or worldview that talks about resurrection in the same way, a physical resurrection of someone in history who rose from the dead. It's a unique idea to Christianity. And the resurrection assures me that the brokenness of our world will one day be fixed. 
It means all the bits of our, our world that are kind of nice will remain, but all the bits that are marred will be put right. The New Testament talks about the new creation. It's even better language than heaven. The idea that this world will one day be made new and all that we imagine this world should be, that subconscious idea that we all have will come true. The new creation in the, in the, in the New Testament is a place of no tears, no pain, no crying, no mourning. No sadness, no loneliness, no heartache, no anguish, no greed, no injustice, no death, no disease, no exploitation, no COVID-19, no isolation, no boredom, no job loss, no financial devastation, no fear, no panic, no, no stress, no anxiety, no sense of exhausting relentlessness of our, our world today. None of that's there. But instead we have feasting and laughter. We have joy and wine. We have happiness and friendship. We have harmony and satisfaction. We have perfect enjoyment of all good things. You see, the resurrection assures three things. Firstly, consolation. For everything we lost in this world, we'll get consolation. Restoration, we'll actually get it back. But more than that, complete satisfaction. All of our desires, every dream, every desire we ever had that was never fulfilled, everything we ever enjoyed, or everything we wanted to do we couldn't do, we'll have that and 10 times more. Consolation, restoration, and everything we ever wanted and so much more. So in his book on the problem of pain, again, Lewis says this, they say of some temporal suffering that no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. There's consolation, there's restoration, and then there's something more wonderful because we've suffered. Mother Teresa, who saw her fair share of suffering, didn't she? She said, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious torture on earth, will seem to be no more serious than a night in an inconvenient hotel. That was Andrew was talking about, wasn't it? The eternal picture of God. So we get comfort. God is with us. I may not know what the answer is to why I'm suffering, but I know what it isn't. It's not that he doesn't love me. The cross assures me of that. I get hope, resurrection, afterlife, consolation, restoration, complete satisfaction of all desires. But then I also get peace. Tonight's topic, this is not all wasted. If you're a secular person and you don't believe in God and you just believe in a materialistic world and when you face death, it's just oblivion, oblivion after death. There's no afterlife, there's no greater story, there's no God, there's nothing, then... then well, no wonder we panic. No wonder we f get fearful in, in the face of death because our whole meaning of life is going to be put in jeopardy. Historically, all other religions and worldviews and cultures said the meaning of life was located out of this world. Not just Christianity, all religions and worldviews and cultures. A God, an afterlife, reincarnation, a state of nirvana. You don't look at the different religions. They all have your meaning of life is located outside of this world. It's not just Christianity. So therefore they could equip their members to suffer well because their meaning of life wasn't actually part of this world. Their ultimate meaning was outside of it. So suffering could actually enhance your meaning of life. It could enable you to better enter into your meaning of life. The suffering could help you. But the modern secular culture is the least able to equip its members to suffer because we have no resources to draw on. If our meaning of life is bound up in this life, then when you suffer, and you die, it can't ever enhance your meaning in life. It just destroys it. It only takes it away. I'm not surprised we panic and fear and we can't face it. We have no resources. If your meaning in life is success, money, health, relationships, family, the environment, social and political causes, romance, work, career, kids, a nice house, whatever, like all good things. 
But if they are your meaning, your essence, your very being, what drives you, what gets you up, what you makes life, well, suffering just destroys it, doesn't it? Your whole point of being doesn't have any, your meaning of life is destroyed. And so we panic and we fear. But if your meaning in life is to know, to love, and to enjoy God now and forever, and all his good gifts when they arrive, and when they don't arrive, we just keep enjoying him. Suffering does not destroy your meaning in life. In fact, as I am personally finding as a Christian at this time, is it enhancing my meaning in life? I'm discovering it in new and fresher ways. Sociologists have well documented that our modern secular culture is the least equipped, is, is least able to equip its members to deal with suffering. Yet, especially in the Western world, we have extraordinary amounts of comfort and ease and wealth and healthcare compared to most of the world and certainly most of history. And yet most of the world and most of history has handled suffering better than our culture. And we've had it the best we've ever had it. Why? Because there's no other meaning than what you can find in this life. And therefore suffering just destroys your meaning. And that's why we end up with so much panic and anxiety. You see, as a Christian, I can have peace because in all the chaos, in all the unknowns, I know God has a plan with it all and there's a future. Therefore it's not wasted. Think about the cross again. When God dies, when Jesus, the son of God dies on a cross, think if you know the gospel accounts, no one thinks anything good is happening. No one's even there. All the disciples have fled. There's a few women and they're weeping. Everyone thinks devastation. The teacher, the Messiah, the, the rabbi, he's gone. We put our hopes in him. Everyone thought, what's going on? God has abandoned. The enemies are winning. Uh, you know, hope is over. All was lost. At the cross, no one saw anything good. No one. Except the enemies who thought they were winning and they were losing. But no one saw anything good. And yet God, and yet God, and yet God was bringing about something marvelous out of the most devastating suffering that no one could see the good of. Which means for your suffering, for your loss, for your hurt, when you can't understand it and you may never understand it, this side of eternity, it's not wasted. If God is, is both loving and powerful, and if he can turn the death of his son into a greater glory than any of us could ever imagine, he can do the same in your life. Wow. Do you see the resources Christianity has because of a crucified God that are unique? There's no other religion, worldview, or culture that has anything like it. We have comfort. We're not alone. God understands and he loves me. I don't know what the answer, why he's, uh, I don't know what the answer is as to why he's allowing it, but I know what the answer is and it's not that he doesn't love me. We have hope. The resurrection assures me of consolation, restoration, and complete satisfaction beyond my wildest dreams. And we have purpose, so therefore we have peace. If, even if it feels wasted, it's not. The cross shows me that. It gives me the essential perspective. Can we find peace in suffering? I think so, if you believe in a crucified God. Let me end with a quote from one of my favorite authors. He's called John Stott, and uh, he, he says this. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face. 
detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. And in my imagination, I've instead turned to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nailed to hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding with thorn pricks, mouth dry, intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our suffering becomes more manageable in light of his. There was still a question mark against human suffering, but over it, we must boldly stamp another mark, the cross, which symbolizes divine suffering. He ends, the cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in a world such as ours. I think philosophically, you have greater problems if you get rid of God when you're trying to face the question of suffering. And I think personally, if you get rid of God, you have none of the resources. And then when you have Christianity, which has a crucified God, you have comfort, we're not alone. We have hope, the future is bright, and we have peace. This is not wasted. That's why it's unique. That's why I am a believer in Jesus and follow him. So thanks for listening. The aim of intro is always to provoke question, engage discussion, and give you a chance to disagree and ask and answer questions respectfully. 